humans, gentle ladies, lab men, ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and dreams alike. Welcome to the Forkcast at forkcast.devolverdigital.forkcast. I can never remember. See, JM usually does this part, but JM is not here right now, so that's the price we pay. Uh, I'm your host, Jared, um, and as I stated earlier, JM is not here at the moment. However, I am not flying solo. Uh, I have a very, very special guest uh, on this episode with us. A man who really needs no introduction, but I guess I'll give him one anyway. <laughs> the one and only Jay Tholen. Hey! Hey, Jay, how you doing? Doing alright. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, busy. Got two kids now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just busy. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so... For people who are not aware, Jay is relevant to the Devolver Sphere of uh, being the brilliant mind behind Dropsy, uh, which is just a personal favorite of mine in our back catalog. Um, but is also, <laughs> uh, God, a man of many talents. You made so many games and you do all kinds of music and stuff. You do all kinds of things, yeah? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do, get on here, well... Yeah, I get on here on this computer and make some stuff. <laughs> so do you want to maybe talk a bit about, um, I guess we'll start with the games, kind of with what kind of got you into into making games? How did that kind of process sort of start? And at what point did, at what point did we kind of come into the, into the mix with Dropsy and, and what's going on beyond that too? Ah, okay. So the origin story. Thing. Yes. Let's see here. <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, um, gee, well, I got started making games back in, uh, when we got a computer, 1997. After a couple of years of begging my parents for a computer, they caved and they, they took out a little loan and got a, a computer at Best Buy. And we got, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money back then, so we went to thrift stores a lot. And I would get these CDs that would mostly be shareware stuff, but I didn't know, you know, anything. Like, I didn't know that you didn't need to pay for these normally. So I, <laughs> I just would buy thrift, thrift store CDs and see what was on them. And that's how I got Duke Nukem 3D shareware, which for a while I thought was was the whole game because I didn't know what shareware was. So mm -hmm. I was just thought it was a game you share. So... I thought episode one was the only episode. And um, so, uh, uh, you know, and so I got click and play on one of these CDs, a demo for this uh, game making software uh, called click and play. I think it came out in 1994 initially. And um, then uh, started making some games in it. And it's just uh, very easy to use. If, if anyone out there is familiar with like game maker or, Click Team Fusion. Click Team Fusion is the sequel to Click and Play, basically, uh, same company, or Construct. These these or these sort of, uh, I would say, relatively easy uh, or easy to begin game making packages. Uh, yeah, Click and Play is kind of like the grandpa to all those. Um, so yeah, I started just making games. You know, making my own little. 32 by 32 sprites and paint and putting them in the game and you know when you when i was just starting you know i don't know how to how to use an alpha channel or anything so i just my 
my character sprites just had white around the edges so it was like a white square with like the character in the middle because i didn't know how to to color drop out and make it transparent in the background uh and also like the bosses were ripped vegeta and goku sprites <laughs> and then there were like uh corn midi files was the music or like i don't know yeah you know that kind of thing um and yeah it was it was fun though uh good times and then we got the internet later 99 or 2000 roughly we got the internet and i found out that there was a sequel well you know another improved version of click and play called the games factory and so i found also a community of people who were using it and so uh and also back then in that community was uh the spelunky guy derek you used to uh was was in that click and play group uh and a few other people who went on to make a game who, who are still making games now in the indie scene but yeah and so um not that i knew derek or anything i was just a little i made some pretty crap games and stuff but yeah, that's how I got started. Um, and I'm real kind of thankful that we didn't have a lot of money because I think I might not have gotten down that path had had we not just scrounged up shareware CDs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's how I got started. And then, you know, I dropped out of high school, didn't do real well because I was on the computer all the whole time, just like fiddling with stuff. I really wasn't interested in school. And I had a problem with math. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just did really bad and I, I had to drop out at, uh, my second try at 12th grade. Um, and I, uh, I ended up just doing telemarketing and, you know, local, local jobs that are a little demoralizing, like factories and stuff like that until I was, uh, well, 2013, how old would I have been? 26 or something like that? 26? Um, I did a Kickstarter for Dropsy, the adventure game. And, you know, that whole time I was working on music, trying to start bands mm-hmm. up until then, trying to make little games and get some attention on those. But, uh, Kickstarter really helped out though. And, and, uh, people found it. Um, and, uh, you guys, Devolver found it. Nigel sent me an email, uh, back in 2013, uh, and was like, hey, we like how your game looks. Would you like to be a part of Devolver, or would you like us to help you with your game? And I was like, I Googled his email address to make sure he wasn't some, like, <laughs> fake tricking me. Yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, no, yeah, that's 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 how I got to start doing it as a job. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's really cool, and. It's funny you you mentioned you mentioned earlier like being grateful for not you know having a lot of money and kind of starting it that way and I I think that you know you hear that sort of similar sentiment with a lot of artists where um, a lot of things they do just kind of stems from a necessity or a lack of certain things they have so they have to be a little bit more innovative and it can kind of I don't know uh, help you be more creative in a certain in certain ways. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, it, uh, you know, you see your peers and you understand that they have the new cool thing and you kind of, you do wish that you could 
have that, but I think there there tends to be like when you can just get everything that you want and just have it. Um and you you spend all your time with that and you're satisfied to some degree and you so um and yeah, a lot of <laughs> A lot of when I was a kid on the computer, you know, we got the computer, but beyond that, you know, I, I had to kind of make my own way. So I had to, you know, figure out how to uh, maybe have have some of the equivalent fun that my friends were having, which ended up, you know, I ended up finding wares, websites and crack web mm-hmm. tracker. Yeah. Well, well, one interesting thing is key gen music when you when you when you crack a. They, uh, when you back in the '90s, anyway, I don't know today, but or in the early 2000s, when you download a a uh, some software that you should have paid for, then you you get um, a nice little installer with like some an- dancing anime person, and then like some key gen music, some music going on while it's installing that the hackers put in or whatever, and uh, I. F- found out about tracking making tracker music through that when i was like 13 and then that started me making music i think on the computer oh that's uh, cool i found i found mod archive through my through my cd illegal activities as a teenager <laughs> yeah so you're i think you're right a little bit you know not exclusively but but i think it does produce some you know not to glorify like the weird systems that lead to people not having a lot of money or whatever, but like it does lead to some, you got to play around a little bit. You got to find your own fun there, you know, a little bit. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, it's just, it's always interesting for me to hear, you know, cause you think, uh, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of things, you know, be it music, games, you know, movies or whatever, they almost seem like this enigma. Like, how does this get made? There's all these wires behind the scenes, but then you hear some sort of things of, Oh yeah, this was born out of a lack of something, um, you know. And I know one of the more famous examples was, of course, uh, Jaws, because um, mm. that was supposed to be like you know the the shark was supposed to be a lot more featured, and I mean it was supposed to be a little bit more crazy, but the the animatronic broke all the time <laughs> and just wouldn't move. So they decided, well, let's film it, like let's not show it as much as we can, and it ended up mm. you know being a lot better because of it. And I just That's I love hearing stories cool. I didn't like know that. about that. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. If you see some behind the scenes footage, they like the shark will come out and its mouth is stuck open, and I think it had a speaker in it, so you just hear this guy on the other end. The shark is broken. It's so funny. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, but okay, so I'll uh, I'll ask this, and <laughs> I, I guess I'll apologize too because I I'll we're. We got to Dropsy in your story, and I know that that was many, many years ago, so I'm going to ask you questions about something you did a long time ago. But um, in terms of the sort of storytelling aspect of the game, because uh, if there, if Dropsy is anything, it is unique, um, both in terms of its overall art and aesthetic and gameplay, but it's, it's narrative. And so I'm just curious if you, you know, maybe want to talk a bit about that and, uh, you know, some inspiration behind it, kind of how if you have a quote-unquote writing process or or anything like that yeah so dropsy started as a forum game like a thread where i it, it was back in 2008 i think i posted this on a forum and 
I posted an MS Paint panel, you know, of Dropsy. And then posters would tell me, oh, go look in that dumpster or go left. And then I would, when I would get home from work, like work on two or three more uh, requests from people to, you know, have Dropsy do certain things. Many, many things that they wanted Dropsy to do were unsavory. So he did not do them <laughs> <laughs> as is, you know early 2000s internet or mid 2000s internet forums but um yeah so so it started there and that kind of defined and you know some of the suggestions from people kind of defined who he became because they kept having him hug people hug npcs and and so um that became a big part of him and back then there was a thing called clowning that was developed in that thread which was painting a face on all of the all of the people you encounter and uh which was going to be a mechanic in the game too where you painted a face on some on the npcs after they trust you you earned their trust um but but that was dropped um and uh that there's a form of it when you solve a puzzle or most puzzles in dropsy end with you being able to hug someone new Mm -hmm. and then after you do that dropsy will put up a little a picture he colors of the person up on his wall so it's kind of a quest log almost with a cute little like badly drawn picture of whoever you hugged but um that's kind of uh paying tribute to the clowning concept though because it he always paints a little clown face on them in his drawing um but yeah so um that's where that started and i wanted you know it got decently popular it was on somethingawful.com so it was a relatively popular forum back then with a lot that had a lot of readers and uh, that was my first glimpse at like anything approaching like making a thing people had heard of Mm -hmm. so i was like oh shoot i gotta take this character who has a little popularity and like try to make a real game and people had uh had requested that too in the thread they're like hey well you're doing all this art and all these backgrounds why don't you just make a real adventure game and and um outside of the some of the loose characterization that uh, we came up with in the thread um in that forum game thread uh i think the writing you know i i, I started with a world map is what mm-hmm. i did and i i because i i just love world maps and love I just think they're fun. You know, you look at them, you look at this big map and you can see, go explore all these places. That's cool. And um, so I just started making, you know, a very video gamey world map with a desert area and some, you know, um, a theme park somewhere. And and, uh, it started there. And then I really kind of uh, took that and kind of tried to build out a story within that world um and a lot of my process is really you just make it up as you go along i think Mm -hmm. Uh, and then later you do passes to make things fit in but i think if i try to do that thing where you like write it all at once and then go in and make it all i think that makes it like a big work checklist you know because you're just writing you're doing all the fun design creative stuff right at the beginning and then after that no more of that you're locked in and you have to you 
it just be that that fun creative thing becomes a, a big list of tasks like oh draw this background draw this background draw this npc and do the sound and and so i i learned pretty quickly well i don't know if i learned quickly i, I kind of struggled with this but because i was kind of trying to go by that conventional wisdom where oh you have to make a big design document first and Mm -hmm. um and i just really struggled i would sit there some days all day and just or weeks even and not get anything done because i'm just looking at this big you know thing that i you know sort of vague list of work and i didn't know if it was all going to come together so i kind of threw that out like halfway through development and just started you know i kept the map because i love that but just making things up as i went along and um yeah that that's sort of the writing process and then once it had been written uh well my friend who i had originally hired for the to program it from the kickstarter he just kind of disappeared unfortunately after he had got the money <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> but uh t and i i remember emailing devolver like um hey <laughs> so you know, I thought they were going to drop me. Like, every every few months, I thought they were going to drop me. But they were very uh, patient with that. And um, uh, eventually, two of the two of the guys from the um, community I mentioned, the click-and-play community game-making software that I had met way back, like, in the early, early 2000s, they, they were... They had a game development studio, a little... Uh, called A Jolly Corpse. And they were like, hey, if you need any help, you know, we'd love to help. And I was like, actually, I do need some help right now. Mm -hmm. And they helped me finish the game. Jesse, uh, he's a, he, he, he ended up doing most of the NPC art in the game and animations for them other than Dropsy himself and the animals. And uh, I ended up handling most of the backgrounds, uh, sound effects, and some of the music like in the dream world. And then David from A Jolly Corpse did the coding. So we had a three-person team in the end there. Well, I went off on a rabbit trail, but yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and the the so the the game itself does not have any like dialogue. You know, it's mm -hmm. all these mm -hmm. like people kind of speak in images, I guess. <laughs> you know, and you yeah, infer pictographs, their emotions. I guess. Yeah. And and that seems it's uh, it's almost kind of funny, right? Because you would think, oh, writing something that doesn't have any words. Uh, but to me, that seems way more difficult. Like, how do you you know convey it? But it's 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 almost universal. Like, it doesn't need to be translated into any other language or anything yeah. like that. And so I'm I'm curious was that was that always the plan, or did uh, that just kind of come come about? <laughs> I think that came about as a result of how Dropsy was in the original mm -hmm. thing where he never spoke. People around him spoke. And um, he just showed emotion and um, babbled a little bit. And so, um, yeah, that, that came out of wanting to retain that sort of element of his character where he just kind of is an outcast and he kind of doesn't understand fully understand everything people are saying and people definitely don't understand what he is saying so um yeah and the the pictographs were were quite challenging to calibrate um because you know uh 
across cultures and backgrounds, there's like just a different understanding of when you see the same image. Like, oh, sure, yeah. There's a, a a pictograph of a guy digging, and that means work to me when I made the game. Mm-hmm. But a few people take it literally to mean digging, and so they try to find where they need to dig. Uh, but then it come it comes up multiple times in the game, and I think enough to where people go, oh, okay, they're talking about working, just in general working. Um, and, yeah, those were quite challenging. Um, I think we did a decent job with those in the end, um, but we did have to go iterate on them. And certain, uh, it, yeah, it was very iterative. Like, you know, we kind of just, just, we knew what loose story beats we were going to have. And we just had to, f- we just went one at a time and, and worked on those until they were in, in a somewhat uh, compelling manner and a, a somewhat understandable manner. But related to that is like the puzzle design where, you know, if someone, like, let's say you have a, someone's not familiar with like, I don't know, a window unit air conditioner, you can't really they're bringing their lack of knowledge to the table whereas someone oh yeah that of course that's an air conditioner they mm-hmm. they would know that such a thing makes a room cool but i realized uh that's not universal like kind of be surprised how many people don't know what an air conditioner is oh yeah um, <laughs> uh or don't know how to identify this object as an air conditioner something that makes the air cool so almost every puzzle needs that kind of consideration when you don't have text because um you know you just have to try to accommodate as many people as possible and it's just impossible to tune for everyone like some people won't come in with certain uh, being able to recognize certain symbols or certain objects or their function and then uh some people will recognize all of it and, and the game will strike them as very easy mm-hmm. so you know that's not unique to textless adventure games. Like I think adventure games in general have that kind of problem. Uh, we're just people not understanding coming with their different pools of knowledge. But um, yeah, I, I think the, the, the lack of text did make it a little more challenging to design. Um, and I'm not sure how, how we did. I wish I had more useful information other than just testing it and, you know, um, bouncing th- ideas back and forth about how to communicate certain things uh and i think it, it it was successful in also you know characterizing dropsy and making you kind of feel like dropsy as you're playing you, you, for sure i yeah i agree with that you definitely kind of feel um you know like a playing it sort of like an outsider trying to infer kind of other things uh, kind of infer people's emotions just like the character so it, it definitely conveys that yeah one one thing i do regret is this early puzzle where you have to hug there's like a guy in a bird costume and he's kind of smoking out front of a store and the way you start the story is basically by well you hug him and then he's like oh gross you're sweaty i don't want your mm-hmm. hugs and then he goes and he complains to his boss that he's going to quit if he gets hugged one more time by you and so he goes back out and he's seen like smoking now because he's so stressed out having to 
be hugged by you. And then there's also a new <laughs> sign out there that's like, do not hug me, Dropsy, with like a cross over your face. And you have to hug him again to start the puzzles. Mm-hmm. And that's so, like, Dropsy always uh, waits until they'll let someone will let him hug them. Mm-hmm. Other than that one, that one, you have to kind of be a jerk and hug him again. <laughs> now, I take it as a child, like, like Dropsy not understanding and just trying to hug him again to make him feel better or something. Sure. But in terms of gameplay, that's so many people get stuck on that. It's one of the first puzzles to start the story. So uh, that one, one day, maybe I'll go in there and, and change it a little bit, <laughs> but because it it drives me crazy and i even like there was a tweet two or three days ago someone tweeted about dropsy in japanese or something and i'm like oh i wonder what they're saying about the game and then i i translated it and it's like oh i'm replaying this game again after not progressing because i couldn't think to hug that bird guy two times (laughs) and i'm like dang gum it (laughs) that's funny (laughs) Um, but yeah, and outside of that, I'm pretty happy about the puzzles. Um, well, uh, I think you know we've spent a, quite a bit of time on Dropsy, um, so I think maybe we'll move on to uh, Hypnospace Outlaw and kind of how. So, how long after Dropsy did that kind of come about? How did that start getting about? What was a uh, you know what's the, what's the story behind that one? How did that go for you? Okay, so Dropsy came out in 2015, at the end of 2015. Unfortunately, in the same month as Undertale. <laughs> oh, um, oh, no. It came out like a week before Undertale. <laughs> it was, we were wiped out from with that. But I don't know if it would have done crazy numbers anyway, but because it's an adventure game. But uh, it, uh, yeah. But anyway, twenty and then uh, early 2016, I got married to my now wife uh so congratulations thank you yeah and dropsy helped helped with that uh because you know it was the first time i'd you know uh seen a paycheck that was out significantly better than minimum wage uh dropsy didn't do that well but it did well enough you know Mm -hmm. um and um so then i was able to afford to move to germany because my wife is german and um i had to start some language classes and stuff when i got here mm-hmm. uh so yeah 2016 uh, right after dropsy came out i i i left it's interesting <laughs> being from florida everyone everyone's like as soon as i can afford to get out of here central florida like i'm gonna get out of here and then uh i i had said that many times but i never expected to actually do that you know, uh-huh. you kind of—it's kind of like a dream. Like you're like, I'm getting out of here, but uh, I did get out of here, so that was nice. Uh, and um, and then yeah, came to to Germany, and just started becoming very interested while here and while taking my German classes in. Uh, well, I it had already been an interest, you know, uh, but the old web and GeoCities, and uh, mm-hmm. I started watching this show called the the net cafe it was a show that ran from the late 90s until 2002 or three 
and it's just called Net Cafe, and it's archived on the Internet Archive. But it's very interesting window into that era, and uh, it's very like it's facing like the common person who would be watching public TV or something. It's not it's not for nerds. So they go in and they they try to explain things in a very clear way, and they also throw in like eye-catching graphics everywhere like uh so it 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 not only like shows you like the technology as it was but also uh presents it it, with a certain flavor that i found very attractive uh and maybe there's a little nostalgia there too of course because you know like those were my formative years you know i grew up watching all these advertisements about the internet with like people flying through 3d tubes and you know cyberspace and the information superhighway and all of these like buzzwords Mm -hmm. uh and so kid me was just like super enamored with that very excited about that and then we got the computer in 97 and then it took two or three years for us to get the internet in 99 or 2000 and so I was just so excited because, like, I had only seen, like, the internet at, like, friends' houses maybe a handful of times. And uh, I was excited about going on those 3D worlds that I had heard so much about, and, and uh, which weren't great, you know. I was a little disappointed uh, as a, what was I, geez, 13 or something, getting on the internet, 12 or 13 because uh, you know it's not like people flying around in tubes and you don't <laughs> they had 3d chat programs but it wasn't like tv you know um uh, mm-hmm. and but just i think a little bit that disappointment too and that that sort of first getting on there you know i was a little disappointed but i was a, very intrigued by what i could do you know make a website which i had attempted to make websites when i was when we first got a computer without the internet, but they were, it, they were giant, very long Microsoft paint images where I just, uh, put my text in there. I drew the borders where the buttons should be. And I put my text in there and it was just a bitmap file as a kid. And I, I thought, I thought, Oh man, once we get the internet, I'll throw this website up and people will be, I thought magically like the web browser would know how to, interpret my image and make all the links clickable but it was just an image you know so mm-hmm. i was very sad about that <laughs> um and yeah so so you know i just thought that was a fun uh space to explore and i had already had a game i had made in 2014 while working on dropsy called hypnospace enforcer which played with the idea of a information superhighway you were a little car as an endless runner and you had to track down people on the internet who were doing wrong uh usually like they they were spreading malware or some other uh thing or be harassing or something and you had to you had your little cop car and you had to go track them down on the information superhighway and so so that's where that that was futuristic though and i decided Mm -hmm. to make it put it in the in an alternate timeline 1990s uh just just because um i don't know futuristic cyberpunky stuff 
it doesn't it didn't have the flavor that I wanted. I wanted it to be a little dorky and a little um you know a little passe, you know, a little um out of style looking, you know, in a, in a in a sort of uh, accurate somewhat accurate way, you know. So yeah, that's how that started. <laughs> so, uh what was that sort of music genre that was popular on the internet back a few years ago, like vaporwave? Oh yeah, vaporwave. Yeah, yeah, I think like you describing that kind of style, like thinking of that kind of um, aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit that. A little bit even um, like. Yeah, I would say a little bit. It started more of that, and then I sort of downplayed it as we went in, into development, and I just became fascinated by, like, the real aesthetics that were going on back then. Like, mm. there are people documenting these online. There's one, like, called Global Village Coffee House. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay, Global Village Coffee House is, like, best described as, like, if you were at, like, a coffee shop in 1995 or an internet cafe or you had one of those t-shirts that you got from like running a marathon they would always have like this <laughs> vaguely like tribal or like african inspired or art or something mm -hmm. with like a swirly sun and like sometimes they would mix in like very um or like a hand with a swirl in the middle of it and sometimes they would mix in contemporary things like it would be like a tribal print but it would have like people using 90s cell phones and fax machines this kind of weird <laughs> old style yeah and i was really there's a lot of examples of it online that people have like kind of gotten together and i'm like whoa this is this is like a super kind of forgotten look and it's really you know most people would probably look at it and describe it as cheesy which you know, it is a little bit, but uh, I thought it was, it was fun to tap into that one. Like, so so I made the whole company identity that sort of, like, the, the company sound logo is like, has like a tribal chant sound. And um, yeah, so I thought that would be a fun thing to tap into. And there's some other other ones, you know, like getting into the, the late, the early 2000s new metal too, which I thought was under <laughs> underrepresented uh, also, like uh very um green and gritty black green a little brown a little uh very matrix or like uh you know that whole sort of convergence of like dragon ball z the matrix maybe a little quake that sort of weird cyber thing i don't know yeah so so we put that we threw everything it's the internet in this game it's a big fake sure, internet yeah. so we just threw whatever I threw whatever I could think of in there. <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely is. It's, it is kind of funny when you, you think back on the early days of the internet and like almost unintentionally. Cause that's, it was, it was, that's just how it was, but it's like that, that is a style. Yeah. <laughs> Very much is a style. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, when you see it, you, you know, exactly. You're like, Oh man, I'm going back to, you know, 99 or, or yeah. 2000 or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It's it's very cool, and it's it's cool to see you know like you kind of recreating it, but almost in a way that is um like <laughs> recreating it, but not in a way of how it was, but yeah. how you remember it being. If that makes sense, 
Yeah, that's a big theme, like nos- <laughs> and and having to do with nostalgia and sure, yeah, like how you remember it versus the reality, which is the reality is generally a little less, <laughs> like, <laughs> not, not nearly as good. <laughs> yeah, it's like when and when you're a kid and you're in your formative years, you know things feel more magical. You don't know where the boundaries of all of these things are. You don't know what's possible for your life in the future. And so I have a feeling that, like, the thing... That's why I think so fondly on all these things. That's why, like, okay, maybe listening to Linkin Park or Korn or whatever is not... <laughs> like, maybe that's not the height of, like, music. Or there are other bands that I like more now. or But but I still put that stuff on, and I still like it. And, uh, um, you know, maybe it's not objectively great or something, but, you know, I listen to it. I have some connection to it. I, I listened to it when I was growing up and was very wide-eyed about everything. And I think that, you know, that's just going to happen throughout the rest of human history. Whatever you you enjoyed in your formative, your younger years when you thought everything in the world was like, was, was peachy. Uh, you know, you, you sort of get an attachment to because it represents that time when, when you thought everything was was maybe better uh and uh, yeah not that everything is total crap but um now but um <laughs> just i, I think you know, that explains aware of it you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh that the game plays with those themes like and it even like it's celebrating sort of when the web was more personal and less homogenized like people had their own home pages and it's very easy to look at a a, a a web page with like rotating skull gifs or like dog like dog borders and very garish colors and you know very kind of relatively ugly design and and like be like haha you know but in in some way it's very um you know it's more free back then in some sure, way yeah. like like uh people were the the default thing that you would have on the the web was a personal homepage and it would just be a blank canvas or like a, a loose template and you just did whatever you wanted on there you put stuff haphazardly everywhere maybe it was a little ugly but it was yours you know it wasn't like a form and then that is then with all of your data that is then sold to whoever mm. you know i mean i'm sure data was sold back then but uh you know so so on one hand it legitimately was a better time to be on the internet but it um you know it wasn't perfect e- back then either so well sure but it's yeah. um you know i i think of things like so like like youtube now you know is so not necessarily regulated but you know it's it's got all these advertisers in it and there's all these guidelines that it's basically like a like any other cable network channel you know or something like yeah. that but i think you know like the early days of youtube and even you know things before that you know, like new grounds and stuff just that anybody could make anything and put it out there for the whole world and there are so many cool things um and so many unique people that would never have gotten the time of day in any other right 
in any other facet that uh, it's like it's just so wonderful to like peek into these these people's lives and when they're creating something and they're so unapologetically themselves because you know there's no nothing else touching it no other you know corporate hands or anything like that and i i do miss those kind of days of the internet that's harder and harder to find now but it was special for sure (laughs) yeah i mean yeah you're (laughs) gosh yeah you're right and and like um, those people are still out there, but they're so buried and they're so like, you just yeah. can't, you just have to now have money or have an interested party willing to invest in you now to like be seen. Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's getting less and less possible to just throw your thing out there on the internet and have any, it could be the greatest thing anyone has ever made, but no one will ever notice it, you know? Yeah, because nowadays it's, yeah, it's, um, I mean, now it's a, you know, it's a big old ocean and you're just one raindrop in it, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, but, uh, yep, but yeah, that's, um, I mean, yeah, the good old days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I actually, I do want to say you going back a little bit because you were talking about music and just also for the record, don't be ashamed about corn. You seem to be a little... Uh, oh, I'm not ashamed. That, I'm no, not corn ashamed. Is, corn rips, man. I still bump that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not ashamed. Um, I, sure. I, I've circled back around to just unapologetically liking whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I there was definitely part of my life where I was like, oh man, I was embarrassed about what I used to listen to. But then now you come around, you're like, yeah, whatever. Like it was cool back then, and you kind of yeah. know that it's not really cool, but it doesn't matter because yeah, yeah, like like. <laughs> Like, okay, I liked this at one... Like, I I guess I understand getting sick of something, but... Sure. You know, (laughs) but outside of that, you know, am I really being honest with myself if, like, at one time this was my favorite band ever, and then all of a sudden, like, I hate it inexplicably? Like, it's not... (laughs) That's not being really true. It's kind of (laughs) like... This is in Hypnospace, too. Like, but when I was... 13 i decided you know pokemon was awful but like when i was 12 and a half and before that pokemon was like the greatest thing in the world you know and then and i even had like a web page about how pokemon sucked and like i had the pikachu gif where he's getting cut in half by a (laughs) saw blade or whatever and blood shooting everywhere and uh you know i i didn't make that i stole it from somewhere but um you know, and that's in Hypnospace. There's a, a fake sort of Pokemon analog called Squishers, and there's a character who who turns on it very quickly. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, yeah, I'm not a not ashamed. I listen to the, I li- I even listen to Pod. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> that old uh, era of new metal. Um, yeah, I uh, my um the band that i currently play in our bass player she's a couple of years younger than me and it's funny because she's a yeah i missed the entire new metal wave so she's like i'm just now getting into it i'm like what I'm like what what world are you living in now? yeah <laughs> it's crazy because like, so like yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool among like younger people and they're even dressing not unlike we may have dressed back then too. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like these Jinko esque jeans are are around again. Oh so. man, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so funny. But uh, so on the uh, on the topic of music, I did want to ask you this because I I knew that you did some music for the games, um, but I was genuinely surprised when I I kind of did a quick Google search and saw you have a a pretty impressive catalog of of music yourself. Um, so I don't know if you want to maybe talk about that a little bit, like not. Like obviously, you know, the soundtracks to the to the games, but just some of your own like personal music and you know, how would you describe your style, what uh, what kind of stuff you do and anything oh. everything like that. Okay. Um so well thank you for asking about that. Uh people don't ask about that usually. Um so music was the thing I turned to when I gave up on games more or less, because when I dropped out of high school two thousand five, two thousand six the conventional wisdom and what i learned i went to full sale uh for a full sale university it's like a for-profit yeah, yeah. i remember game that. school. that's that's in <laughs> yeah that's in florida you said you were in florida right yep and i went yeah. there for a little um introduction thing whenever around the time i was leaving high school and i did the whole tour and they had a question and answer thing at the end and i was talking to one of the advisor guys he was a professor and he was like oof you're dropping out huh i don't know <laughs> and and then i'm like yeah well um and then he he's like well what do you want to do do you want to do art or do you want to do programming which which, which discipline do you want to do and he was trying to help me figure out a path forward to like mm -hmm. and f maybe give me some resources to learn at home and i'm i'm like I just want to make my own game, <laughs> not do any of that. He's like, you can't really do that. You got to pick something. And in the context of Full Sail, he's right. Like, to go to Full Sail, I would need to pick something. Mm -hmm. But I took that as meaning there's just no, you can't do that. Like, you just, you can't do that. Like, and he's the smart professor. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I can't do games, you know. And back then there was no indie game and you know it was it was bubbling a little bit in the underground a little bit and people were still using uh the games factory or game maker or, but um you know there wasn't a market you couldn't do that as a job yet so i i was just like well that's over and then around that time i started getting into my dad's music prog rock stuff like Pink Floyd was like the gateway and then King Crimson and all of these prog bands and mm -hmm. and then everything that stemmed from that like I could list all the genres but you know very pretentious just a million different genres just became immersed in music because in some way I think I kind of like was like okay never gonna do the game thing it's not possible so music was then the thing I, I really focused on and I learned some composition and i learned how to use a daw uh and i and i got a, a a midi controller and just started uh, making music just on the computer and concurrently i was also like you know i was doing my crappy jobs so it was a really kind of a nice rhythm where okay i hated this job during the day but i could i could keep a little notebook with me and write ideas so i would just be listening to my own mixes mm -hmm. on headphones and i'd just be whipping out this notebook not really paying attention i got fired a hundred 
a hundred times, probably because I was focused on this crap. But I'd whip out the notebook and be like, okay, maybe dip and do like a minor passage here or lyrics or some melody. I'd record when when I got a phone that could record voice. I would like be humming like a melody, and you know, it just became my craft. You know, I and and then I'd get home, which was such a fun time. Like after work, six p.m., five p.m., six p.m the drive home like usually 20 30 minute drive i was so pumped to go home and like work on my music and i'd get home and sit there for whatever five hours couple hours well that was a problem too when i was really into a project i'd be up until three and then Mm -hmm. i'd be i literally fell asleep at at one of my jobs and got fired at (laughs) one of my telemarketing jobs (laughs) Which good riddance, whatever. I, I don't. That was an awful job, but um, um, yeah. And so um, yeah. That was the music thing, and I really wanted a prog rock band. I really wanted to start like a very technical prog rock band, but I was limited by one. I'm not a great performer. Um. I can I can learn a part on the keyboard by playing it over and over and over and over and over again, and then I can play that live some. If, but but you know, um, not dynamic. I can't like I can't say okay I'll change the key because I can't sing it in this key and then know how to play it. I would have to key, restart and learn how to play it in the new key. But um, and also I was limited by the fact that I was in. Polk County, Florida, which there's no one. Everyone cool. Not a big prog rock scene down there. No, not a anything scene. Everyone cool leaves. You know, everyone. Well, at the time, everyone I thought was cool left would have left, and you know, you just there's no future there. There's there's no nothing to do, nowhere to work, no no scene. Like there's a, there's a very small music scene that kept getting shut down because there was only one venue and then they would go out of business and then everyone would have to find a house or a new venue but um yeah so i was just like you know what screw this i'll just record i don't need to do bands whatever and then so that that was just my outlet what i did for fun for like basically eight to ten years until the dropsy kickstarter and I was able to start making games again, but, uh, yeah. And it was, it was, it was pretty fulfilling. And at the same time, I was like a youth leader at a church. So mm-hmm. I was like, I noticed, the, um, the popularity of like some, well, well the state of like Christian and worship music always depressed me cause I hated it. So I hate, <laughs> I would sometimes even lead like music in the youth group, but I hated all those songs. It's just, singing them as like a service and to god and you know as a as like a you know an obligation and i wasn't i wasn't cynical during the singing because i was using that time to try and really do focus on god and you know trying to um trying to do the right thing there but but immediately before and after I was like, Oh, I hate this music so much. It's so <laughs> sucky. And I was, I always felt like it was like a, a very crappy offering. Um, and, uh, and so, um, 
so a lot of my music at especially that stretch until like 2013 is very very religious or very uh christian in mm-hmm. uh lyric lyricism um or concept like some of the ones that don't have lyrics are, are like trying to tell some kind of spiritual thing just through the musical events and a lot of the music is just sucks like nowadays i listen to some of that and i'm like ooh got to turn this off it's so <laughs> but it was all learning and i think i am thankful for all that cuz you know it's you're learning by doing and and you know you got to i think if i just did nothing cuz it would suck then i wouldn't have learned how to do it better you know so sure yeah yeah that's that's how all that music started and and um there's a lot of it so i think um some of the stuff I still like is is a 2010 album called Control Me, which won a it, that's kind of quasi chip tune, and it won an award back then from a oh, awesome. from a chip tune blog for album of the year, and <laughs> it's funny because um I was up against Disaster Piece uh for, and I beat him. No way! Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> and they had a show in New York. Um. Where, where they were announcing the awards uh like a not and and i don't mean to make that sound big it was a dinky venue and there were maybe 50 people there but you know it's not nothing and they were oh, yeah, live streaming no, awesome. it they live streamed the show and this was a wednesday night i'll always remember this because i was <laughs> running the projector at church and on the wednesday night service and i was sitting there trying to listen to the award show <laughs> in one ear while also changing the lyrics to these worship songs in the other year ear rather and um i was doing very bad at doing the worship lyrics and i could yeah, see people so like funny. like looking over at me like what are you doing man and um <laughs> and w- the best thing about it is like the guy announcing the awards kind of knew I had Christian lyrics and stuff. And so when he was announcing me, he was like, Oh boy, praise Satan. Jay Tholen won this <laughs> award. And so I'm sitting there at church listening to a guy like say, praise Satan while announcing an award for me. And I was like, <laughs> I was like so shoot, <laughs> I'm glad this audio isn't, uh, I didn't accidentally <laughs> click something. It, yeah. But yeah, that that that's an okay album, and there's one album I really hate, but it's one of my recent ones. It's 2017, while I was working on Hypnospace, and that album, um, it's called. Some parts of it are okay. It's called Celestial Archive. Lyrics are okay, I guess, but that 2017 was when I was just learning, really, really getting into some of these music YouTubers and some of these jazzy guys, like you know Adam Neely and these guys and they they like teach the nitty-gritty like music theory stuff and i was just like learning a lot but i was misusing what i was learning and like i that album was just like part the old way i was doing it which was more feeling and was more like recording over myself until it sounded good and then deleting what didn't work which Mm -hmm. now i've realized is a pretty good way to do things i uh but but I had dropped that, and I'm like, okay, I gotta do it. 
I got to do it right and compose it like a real musician. But it ended up sucking for that reason because I, I dropped my the way I learned over 10 years and tried to do it this YouTube way that I learned. And, um, but yeah, that that's that's that. I still really love to do music. Yeah. And I played a few fake artists in Hypnospace too. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So you're still making music then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the sequel to Hypnospace will have, I will be playing a couple of bands in that. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> well, I you're mean, in a band. Awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. What do you play? <laughs> I am, yeah. I, I play guitar. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, I played, I played in a, a few bands and sort of my main project was maybe about say four years ago at this point it was like a uh i don't know like a 90s noise rock kind of band Ooh, cool put out two records and then uh you know called it quits after that but are yeah, y'all I on actually... band camp no i don't think so not anymore oh, we used to have some stuff up there but yeah this i'm i actually this the guys i'm playing with now uh we've only started jamming for a couple months and it's been good because I, I miss playing i miss playing live oh yeah playing with people yeah me but too it's so That's fun cool. it's yeah um so yeah you, you mentioned Bandcamp. so i'll say i i know the answer to this question but i'm going to ask it for the listeners uh where can we find your music uh you can just google jay tholen Bandcamp, uh <laughs> or go on spotify um or whatever you know Bandcamp's probably better for uh, money um, reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Spotify is sadly good for algorithm reasons. So if you use it, then just listen on Spotify. It's kind of like the not to not to to rabbit trail it again, but it's kind of like when people ask me, "Hey, should I buy your game on Steam or Itch?" Or oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm I'm always like I hate to say this, but Steam and leave a good mm-hmm. review, because itch is, I get a little bit more money, but uh, the algorithm is more important. So please, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess any other. So we're about out of time here. So any other sort of socials that you got that you know anybody can kind of follow your escapades at. Yeah, sure. Um, so my Twitter is J-A-Y-T-H-O-L-E-N, Tholen, or Tolan, whatever. I don't know. And um, I post some development stuff there and usually jokes and, you know, the Twitter stuff people post. Um, I also have a game I'm working on that i um, got to finish by the end of the month called Slayer's X, Terminal Aftermath, Vengeance of the Slayer. <laughs> which is made by a character in Hypnospace named Zane, and he has a Twitter. And his na- his Twitter is Zane underscore rocks underscore 36. Zane rocks 36. And it's if if you are a person who liked Corn and liked Linkin Park and The Matrix, and <laughs> you drew in your notebook some awesome game design when you were 16, this is like if that became a real game. That's what the theme of this is. So, yeah. Uh, Slayer's X. And then in, next year we have a, 
a sequel to Hypnospace called Dream Settler, but I don't have a special Twitter for that one. So. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks so much, you know, for taking some time out of your day to, to chat with me and yeah, tell thank stories you. and talk about it. It's been great. And uh, let's see, this is a part that I'm really bad at. JM always makes <laughs> makes me do it, but let's see. We're you can follow Devolver Digital. We got a Twitter. It's Devolver Digital on Twitter. We got let's see, we got Instagram, we got a TikTok, we've got a Discord dot gg slash Devolver Digital. There is a forecast subthread in there. You can uh, you know sit there and chat with us. Uh, what other ones do we have? I don't remember. Facebook maybe. I don't know. Jam's not here. So do you guys have a TikTok? <laughs> we do have a TikTok. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> um, Reginald Cantilever running, <laughs> running. That, that's a <laughs> sorry. That's an inside joke. I shouldn't say because <laughs> it's not going to make any sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's all of our stuff. But anyway, yeah. So thanks again, Jay. This has been great and really awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're a you're a great interviewer. Oh. Thank you. This was my first one solo, so that that actually means a lot. <laughs> so it's not just JM bringing the magic, then. <laughs> well, I mo I guess mostly, but I don't know. That thank you. That, that, <laughs> mean, that really is sweet. Okay. Um. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next. Bye. Week. bye.